just ask that you would lift our hearts to you this morning, that you would speak to us through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Usually what I do is before I, I speak, I have people shake hands, remember? And I want you to shake hands with two people that are older than you, okay? <laughs> Some of it might be hard. Go ahead, stand up, shake hands with two people that are older. <laughs> I think, let's hope you found someone older than you, but uh, I'm getting old now. Um, I like to find out a little about the people that I'm speaking to, though, and I'm going to give you a little chance to participate just a little bit. I'm going to talk just real briefly about music, and you have a chance to tell me what kind of music you like. And be honest, I'm going to have you clap when I mention this style of music, okay? So this, this helps me find out the kind of people you are. Okay, first of all, I want you to clap if you like classical music. Clap loud. I'm shocked Tom Baird was standing. Okay, classical. How about this? How many of you like just good old oldies rock and roll? Clap your hands. Okay. Now, this is, this is going to tell me a lot. How many of you just like... Country music, country music. <laughs> okay. Uh, how many of you like jazz? Okay. How many of you like just really heavy metal? <laughs> hey, uh, we're going to pray for them right now. You know what? <laughs> how about, how, if any of you do, any of you like rap music? We're going to pray for them, too. Good. That helps me out. You know what? Isn't music? Music is kind of like a universal language, and we all have different tastes in music. But, you know, I was thinking not only is music a universal language, something else is kind of a universal thing. And I would say that's problems and trials. It's universal. Around the world, there are problems, trials, suffering. And I was thinking about, you know, if the Lord could come in and just talk to people. If, if you're going through a trial or have been through a trial, basically some of you are doing fine, but someday you're going to go into a trial. Some of you may be coming out of a trial, but what would the Lord say to people that are just going through difficulties, that are going through pressures? You know, on the shave cream, have you ever looked? It says contents under pressure, you know? And I think people, especially in today's society, there's a lot of pressures, a lot of trials. Just like music is universal, so are trials. But first, before I get into what he would say is, I think there's three sources of trouble. If you're note takers, uh, I'm kind of a note taker. I like to keep it simple. But first reason that we have trials and problems, it's guaranteed by the Lord Jesus, is we live in a fallen world among a fallen race. Have you noticed that this is a fallen world? And it seems, guess what, I'm 62, I think it's getting worse. It's a fallen world. Do you know at the garden every relationship was shattered? Every relationship was shattered when they sinned. Between man and God, he said, where are you, Adam? That was shattered. Between man and nature, between man and weather. By the way, yeah, I'm waiting for spring. How about you? I hate this weather. 
between man and man, between man and animals. Do you see all the relationships that were shattered? And we live in a fallen world. So folks, don't be surprised by problems. We're living in a fallen world among a fallen race. But then there's a second source. I'd say the second source, and, and I deal with people, and I deal with myself, and I do counseling. I think the second source is self-inflicted trouble. A lot, of, a lot of times we get in trouble just simply by the choices that we make. And I've seen people, it's interesting um, that the Lord would say to a person that's been 38 years by a pool, the pool of Bethesda, he said, would you like to get well? He'd been there 38 years. And he says, do you want to get well? I think sometimes some of our problems are just self-inflicted. Choices we make, etc. Someone said, it, because of sinful choices, and people are hurting. You know what? Someone said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay, and a lot of self-inflicted. And then there's a third thing that happens. Sometimes you've been good. Think of the book of Job, and life goes bad. The book of Job was a righteous man, and he was wondering, why am I going through problems? I, I wish we could say that about ourselves, but sometimes life just happens. Look at the Lord Jesus, who was perfect in all his ways, and it, Simeon held him up and said, this will be a sign which will be spoken against. And he said to Mary, the mother, a sword's going to pierce your own heart also, Mary. So sometimes, look at the Lord. He was good, and then life goes bad. I like what the Lord says, and it's, it's a little passage in Revelation chapter 2 to a small church. It was a small gathering of believers. And this is what the Lord said, and there's no condemnation, there's no, no uh, rebuke at all, it's, it's all positive. But the Lord, this is what he said to believers who are going through problems. And you know, by the way, if you're not a believer, you're going to have problems. And if you are a believer, you're going to have problems. But I've always said, I'd rather have God with me in my problems. And so this is what he says. To the angel of the church at Smyrna, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. I know the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What would the Lord say to a small group of believers that are going through tough problems? I, I, I learned this from a really great theologian. The great theologian, his name is Rocky Balboa. Have you heard him? Let's just watch a quick little clip, what he says about life. We'll sing hymn number, no, you're doing fine. Wonderful, it was great just watching. Every day was like a privilege. Then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. 
The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you gotta be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you wanna be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. I'm always gonna love you no matter what. No matter what happens. You're my son, you're my blood. You're the best thing in my life. But until you start believing in yourself, you ain't gonna have a life. Don't forget to visit your mother. I like the, I like the line when he says, it's not if you get punched or knocked down. It is will you get back up? Will you get back up? You know, it says a righteous man falls seven times, yet the Lord will sustain him, lift him up. And I just think, think of, think of Joseph. Joseph was put in a pit. And for 14 years from the pit till finally he was up next to Pharaoh, it was 14 years. He was knocked down. But he got up. John the Baptist, John the Baptist is imprisoned at the maturest prison across the Dead Sea, and he's there, and he's preaching to Herod, and then finally they take and they kill him. But he began, he began to doubt a little bit, John, and he said, are you the one that we look for, or do we look for another? And, and then the Lord said, tell, tell, the, tell John what I'm doing. I'm healing the sick. I'm raising the dead. But John, John was knocked down, but, but not knocked out. Peter was knocked down, but not knocked out. You know, the Bible says, as the sparks fly upward, so man is born to troubles. So I've got good news, he says to this little church. I've got good news and bad news to this little church called Smyrna. And what does he say to people that are going through tough times? Number one, point principle number one I see is verse nine. It says, I know your afflictions. I, I love that. I know. I understand. I know. Now, what does he say? It's from the one who died and came to life, folks. The Lord knows. He died. He not only died, he suffered. He was beaten and scourged and mocked. And he says, I know. I know about suffering. I know about trials. It says all the disciples forsook him and fled. He says, I know. He knows about death. He died. He understands. I, I'm so thankful for that. Whatever you're going through right now, good times, God knows. Bad times, God knows. I know. I love that. I love that. One commentator said this. Jesus says to every single Christ follower, I know about your suffering. I know about your affliction. I know about your poverty. I know about the slander. And folks, I'm saying this is what I observe for the future. It's going to get worse. It says, yea, and all that will live godly shall suffer persecution. And I see it's going to get worse and worse. And you're going to be hated by a lot of people if you stand up for Christ. He says, I know about your affliction. I know about your poverty. I know about slander. I know all about death. 
I will walk with you through it. You're my sacred delight. I love you more than anything else. You're my crown jewel. You're priceless to me. And you need to know that you are absolutely untouchable. However the end comes, the end isn't really the end for you. You can be fed to wild lions. You can be torched at a garden party. You can be locked in prison. You can be banished to an island. You may be assaulted by cancer or heart disease or a hurricane. But the end is not the end because I'm the first and the last. You know what he says? I'm the first. I've been with you in the past. And he says, I'm the last. I'll be with you in the future. I'll go with you and I'll walk with you in the future, whatever you go through. I'm encouraged by that. What did he say he knows? Verse 9, he says, number one, point number A, I know your pressures. I know pressures. I know what you're going through. And, and you know what? I don't know what pressure. Maybe right now we're not going through uh, outright persecution. Believers all over the world are. All over the world. There's a gal at Moody Bible Institute, and she's from China, and she said recently she was at Moody, and I read in our little alumni magazine, I attended Moody, she said she was so happy to get to Moody because she got an A. And she said while I was in China, while I was getting educated, I always got Fs. The teachers would give me Fs Every, every class, every test, because I was a believer. She said, I finally got an A. It was so encouraging. That's what believers are going through right now. I know your pressures. Sometimes it can be emotional. Sometimes it's physical, psychological. I don't know what you're going through, but he says, I know, and I care. I'm so thankful. I'm thinking of John 5, that man by the Bethesda. He says, and Jesus knowing that he had been there a long time. Jesus knows. He says, your pressures. I don't know what they are. But then he says something else. This was a church that was really poor. I know your poverty. And why would he say that? Because if you were a believer in Smyrna and you accepted Christ, you know what? They boycotted your business. And you were put out of business. And that word poverty there is abject poverty. They were worried about their next meal. Wow. Poverty. We, we don't know much about that, but believers all around the world are wondering where their next meal comes from. They didn't have any money. I remember we were in the Philippines, Deb and I, recently, and, and we were there, and there had been a fire in this school, and these teachers, sweet little teachers, I think they made about $100 a month or $150, which was pretty good, but they lost all their clothes. And... Um, I was, teaching, I was teaching them about uh, the Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. And I said, the Lord Jesus knows what it's like not to have anything. And then I said, they'd lost all their clothes, and they don't have insurance over there. And uh, we had a fire at our place, but we had insurance, and they took everything out of our place. Our next-door neighbor, his, his townhome caught on fire, and we got smoke damage, and so they cleaned everything out. We had insurance. They replaced clothing. We don't know what it's like, but they lost everything, these teachers. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy you some clothes. And I happened to have like 20, I don't know, it was like $22 in my billfold of uh, Philippine money. You know how much a pair of nice pants in the Philippines is for a, a, a gal, nice slacks? Two dollars. Uh, so I was able to buy 10 of them, a pair of slacks. I bought them, and you would have thought that I was 
the richest man on earth, that I would buy him a pair of slacks. But then I realized there are believers all over the world that know what poverty is. They didn't have any money to replace their clothes. But then he says something else. I know the profanity, and you know, sometimes I can handle pressures, and maybe you can handle poverty, but what's really tough is when people slander you. Uh, profanity. The, he says, I know the slander of the synagogue of Satan. What he was saying is the people that were given the believers really tough times in Smyrna were Jews. And I love the Jewish people, but the Jews were resisting the message of Christ, and they were persecuted, and they were slandered. You know, the early Christians were accused of cannibalism. The early Christians were accused of having orgies because they would have, they would take the body and blood of Jesus, and they would eat it, and they said, these believers are cannibals. I, I, I remember, because I went to Moody Bible Institute, and my, oh my goodness, people thought I'd joined a cult when I got saved, and my mother was struggling, and then my aunt comes to me, and she said, John, um, are you a Mooney? And I said, you remember Sun Yen Moon, that was a big deal? I said, no, no, no. Well, she said, didn't you go to Mooney Bible Institute? <laughs> do, do you see what people think? They always think the worst. I said, no, it's Moody. He was the man. Oh, boy. Who wins? But pressures, poverty, profanity, and that's going to happen. It's going to happen to you. I feel it. It's going to happen more and more to every one of us in this room. But, but God says, I know. You know, I, I remember going through a real difficult day, one day, just a really difficult. And, and, you know, if you can't find me, usually I'm walking in the mall. You know, I'm walking in the mall, and I was walking in the mall, going through a real difficult time, and just walking in the mall and praying, and, and a guy comes up, and he said, aren't you John Berglund? I, I said, yeah, yeah. He said, um, did you speak at Oskaloosa once at a church? And I said, yeah, I did, I did. I don't know this man. I don't recognize him. He said, well, you spoke at our church maybe a year or two ago, and my 16-year-old daughter, she came to Christ the day you spoke, and I have prayed for you every day since. And I don't even know the man. But what God was saying is, I know, I know. And he said, I've prayed for you every day. That, 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 that means a lot. And then one day I was going through a tough time and a girl uh, that I taught at Des Moines Christian, she wrote me a note. On a, it was a gray, cold day in the fall. And she said, Mr. Berglund, we just really love you. And that's, and you know, I, I am the most unorganized person on earth, but you know, I've had that letter since 1996. That little girl, we're praying for you. We love you. Thank you for touching our lives, this little gal. God knows what you're going through. And do you know what he does? He sends little angels along the way when you're at wit's end and you don't know what to do. It's it just so neat. But then not only says, I know, and he says, I know about what you're going through. I know all the problems. God knows. I, I remember it was Philip Yancey. He, he's a great writer. And, but Philip Yancey, whenever he writes, there's a certain sadness just a little touch of sadness in his writing. And then I found out that he never knew his father. His father died, I think, when he was about one or two. Years later, Philip Yancey was going through pictures. He found his mother was going through pictures, and he saw a baby picture. And 
The mother said, oh, Philip, that's you. Really? He said, I've never seen this picture before. He, she said, yeah. Your dad, see, Philip Yancey's father had polio, and years ago, do you know what they did? They put him in these iron lungs. Do you remember some of the older? Put him in iron lungs. And your dad was put in this iron lung because of the polio. And what he did is he put your picture right above where he was laying. So he looked at your picture all day long and all night whenever he'd wake up. Philip said, that just did something really special. So though he didn't know his father, his father knew him. And for 24 hours, when he would wake up in that iron lung before he died, his picture was posted right there. God says, I've got your picture. I've got your picture right in front of me. In fact, he says in Isaiah, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. That's good news. That's good news. So he says, I know. Second, he says something else. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, I don't know, what, what, are, what are you afraid of right now? Um, by the way, does anybody have Kleenex? I'll, I'll pay you well. If you've got Kleenex, unused Kleenex. Thank you so much. I meant to bring some. Uh, you know, he says, don't be afraid. I don't know what you're afraid of today, but you know, there's a lot of things. Sometimes I'm afraid for a country. We're right now $20 trillion in debt. A trillion dollars spend $1.4 million a day from the time of Christ till 1995. That equals $1 trillion. One, could, could any of you spend $1.4 million a day? Some of you could, though. <laughs> right? Spend $1.4 million a day from the time of Christ till 1995, almost 2000. That equals $1 trillion. And we're $20 trillion in debt. I see no great future. But this is not my home. This is, she says, don't be afraid. Someone said, you know what someone said about fear? They said it stands for false evidence that appears real. False evidence that appears real. But I meet a lot of people that fear says, it says, forget everything and run. <laughs> you know? uh, but you know what? Some things are fearful. Sometimes we're afraid of our future, of the future. What is it going to hold? I don't know what it's going to hold, but I do know one who holds the future. Over 300 times, God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid about your future. I, you, know, I, you know, I'm really sad about one thing. I always felt like the Lord was going to come really soon, and I still believe that. I think he's going to come. But there's one big problem. Um, I didn't save a whole lot for retirement because I thought Jesus was coming. I'm really sad now, because I'm getting really close to retirement now. And I wish you got, the brethren would have helped me a little bit here and said, hey, it could be 100 or 200 years, because I'm getting closer to retirement. By the way, young people, they say Social Security will run out by 2025 to 2032. Just want to encourage you today. Some, but keep working. You've got to pay for me. Okay? <laughs> keep working. Well... I don't know what you're afraid of. It could be the future. It could be uh, uh, just, just the things that you're going through. 
How about this? Don't be afraid of suffering, of the suffering. He does say, by the way, some of you will die. Some of you will be put in prison. And folks, that's happening all around the world. After our fire, we flew to India, Deb and I, and I was speaking to pastors, and she was working with women. And, uh, you know, we were feeling, you know, December 23rd, we had the fire, and then um, we flew off to India in January. And, you know, I think we felt just a tiny bit sorry for ourselves, but I thought, hey, we're covered by insurance, we're okay. But we got to India. And there was a province, uh, they were from Orissa, the province of Orissa, and there were a group of believers there that radical Hindus had come and burned down all their houses and killed some of them, and they fled to the jungle and hid out for a week in the jungle just eating whatever they could. And then all of a sudden I didn't feel so sorry for myself because they didn't have insurance to replace their home. And they had to hide in the jungle to try to get by. I, I think it's good to consider others when going through things. And then he says, point number C, don't be afraid of the length of the turbulence, the length of it. He says, it's going to happen 10 days. And I think what, it, what God is saying there is he knows the beginning of it. He knows the end of it. It's going to be extremely intense. And I want to tell you something when going through problems. There's always a beginning, there's always a middle, and there's always an end. And just know, I love that, and it came to pass. I like when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee. One sermon, a great sermon I read was, the boat will not sink and the storm will not last forever. God puts a limit on it and though it will be very intense, it'll be a short period of time. He knows the length of it. But he says this, don't be afraid. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. But then lastly, Point number three, he says, I want you to be faithful. I want you to really be faithful. You know, I, I, um, what I would love to hear someday when I stand before the Lord is just hear, well done. You know, any problem that you go through right now, it'll be worth it. When you hear from the Lord of glory, well done. We were in Panama, and I was ordering a hamburger, and I don't speak Spanish. And they kind of were trying to say, how do you want it cooked? And I said, well done. And he didn't understand it. But there was a guy, an American, he was sitting up at the bar, and he heard what I was trying to, he said, the word is bien cocida. Bien cocida means well done. And I thought, yay, I will use this in a message someday. Because someday I want to hear the Lord, even if it's in Spanish, say, bien cocida. And then I was saying that to one of my friends that speaks Spanish. He said, no, John, don't, don't. You don't want to hear bien cocida. Bien cocida in Spanish means well cooked. <laughs> and, and so he said, it's bien hecho, bien hecho. Okay, I don't want to hear well cooked. <laughs> but I do want to hear well done. What's the requirement? What's the requirement to hear well done? He says, be faithful even to the point of death. Finish well. It, it may mean that you have fallen down, but you know the end of the game, the, the game's not over till it's over. And it's you get back up and you finish well. 
Bob Whelan started out the marathon, and I don't know who, it was 17,000 started out, but I do know who finished last. It was Bob Whelan. He finished last. I think it was actually 26,000 runners. Bob Whelan finished last. It was three days, four hours, and 25 minutes. I, that's about what I would do. But Bob Whelan finished. Because see, Bob Whelan had lost his legs in Vietnam. And so Bob Whelan had his hands all padded, and he would lift himself up and slide forward on a pad, and lift himself up and slide forward. And he, he didn't win the race, but he finished well. It'll be worth it all. The requirement. What about, what about also the reward? There's going to be a reward. It'll be worth it all just to see Jesus, to see him and know him, to hear his voice. And then he says, there'll be riches. Heaven awaits. You know, he says, you may be really poor, and you may not be much in the eyes of this world, but God says you are rich. You are wealthy. You know what happened recently? Recently, it happened in Sudan. Sudan is a tough country, a really tough country right now. And a guy was walking in the capital. He told this the president of Moody, was walking in the capital of Sudan. And what they would do is when they come into the south, they would kill the parents. They would kill off the parents. That's the first thing that they'd do. Then they'd gather the children into the square, and they would have like mass conversions that you had to convert to Islam or die. The kids had already seen their parents killed. And that he gathered all of them up. He gathered all of these children up. There were about 40, and a man who witnessed this told the president of Moody, he said, You've got to bow down to Allah and repeat a prayer of conversion after him. And if not, we're going to kill all of you. And all the kids went down on their knees except one. The kid looked eight or nine years old, and the mullah got angry, and he says, you bow down. I told you to bow down, and if you don't bow down, I will kill you. This eight or nine-year-old kid said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I cannot bow down. The mullah motioned to the guards, and they plowed him down with a sword and killed him. And he dropped dead in a pool of blood. As soon as the kid dropped down, eight other kids stood up. Eight other kids. And they went and they killed four, and the other kids just stood waiting to be killed. And the mullah said, he said, you're not even worthy of death. Sell them all into slavery. And they took them and sold them into slavery. But four kids, eight kids stood up, four kids kept standing. And you know what these kids were saying? Even if it means death, I will not renege on Jesus. I'll take up my cross and follow him, be faithful even unto death. Karen Watson was a missionary to Iraq, and uh, she was with Southern Baptists, and she wrote a letter home to be opened only in case of her death. It was a powerful letter, and uh, 
Sure enough, she was uh, riding in a car with four other missionaries in Baghdad, and people came by and machine-gunned the car, and uh, Karen Watson died. And uh, at her funeral, they opened up that letter. She said, to be opened in case of my death, and this is what she wrote. To obey was my objective, to suffer was expected, his glory my reward. To obey was my objective, to suffer was expected, his glory my reward. You know, uh, the Bible says this, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not even worthy not even worthy to be compared to the glory that re will be revealed. Point number C is the riches. There'll be riches someday. Riches and rewards beyond our imagination. I'd go longer, but I'm, I'm out of time. And, uh, you know, Christ is really worth it. He's really worth it. And... Uh, the question arises, just keep being faithful, even, even to the point of death, keep being faithful. He's really worth it. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you so much for your word, and I want to thank you that you were dead, but now alive. Some people here have lost loved ones, but the hope is because you understand death and because you went to a cross and died and our sins were all laid on you. And then you died, and many people have died on crosses, but you did something else. You rose again. You became alive from the dead, showing that you had power over sin and death and that all we have to do is trust, not in anything we can do, but in the finished work of Christ that he paid it all, that he died for our sins, and all I've got to do is cling to the cross by faith. Lord, I pray and thank you so much today that you know, you know what we go through. You also say, don't be afraid, I'll be with you. And you also say that you'll be there till the very end, and that we're just all called to be faithful. So thank you for this time we've had together in your word. And may we be encouraged to walk with you another week and another day until we die or until you're coming. We pray it in Jesus' name.